together now on the eternal God who was, who is, and is to come. And sometimes we live in the present or we live in the past. Sometimes we live in the future. But Jesus said, I, I am the unchanging one. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I thought just something different. We would pray together and we're going to use Psalm 46. So, uh, Dave, if you'd be kind enough to throw that up. We'll have 46. And let's, can we say this together slowly? Um, as a prayer to God, Psalm 46. And it talks, you know, this, the age that we're living, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's all sorts of things happening. But this has happened before in history. We're not the first generation that's had uh, challenges and difficulty. Each generation has to face God for themselves. So let's be reminded of something from way, way back. Before Christ was born, the psalmist David uh, wrote this. So let's say together, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, Selah. Do you know what that means? Peace. Rest. In the midst of all that, rest. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Salah. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and he burns the shield with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. Let's just pause for that moment and be still. We're such busy people. Our minds are busy. Let's just close our eyes and just be still and know that you are God. Loving Father, thank you that really all you want from us is to be still in your presence, to know you and to love you, be in relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, you're the unchanging God. We bless you, Lord. And then we move into the 17th century, we move on a little bit, where uh, a lovely, uh, beautiful hymn, which I love to sing, Guide Me, O Thou Great Redeemer. If I had a better voice, I'd sing it to you. Um, you know, bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. But one of the verses, it says, When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. So when we're going to new places, new things, standing on the verge of something new, wondering what's happening around us, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, 
land me safe on Canaan's side. So here's a man writing in the 1700s about the future. He's, he's in the present, but he's f- uh, facing the future on Canaan's side. And uh, I know Sam wants to, is going to speak on the word this morning, but it's something we don't do very often. But uh, as the, the, it's Nations Day, people have been mentioned, people all around the world are praying to the God of creation, the Lord Almighty. And there's a, a, the creed which we, we rarely uh, uh, recite. But why don't we as a congregation recite the creed? There's a bit in there which some of you might stumble over. It says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. It's not the Roman Catholic Church. It's the Church Universal, the Catholic Church, the, the Church of all believers. I know when I first read that, I thought, I'm not a Catholic. I'm sorry. No, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a protester. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it means that the Catholic Church, the whole, the, the universal church, the church of the nations who are this morning and across the world uh, and tonight and in different places are worshipping this God. So why don't we stand together and say the creed. It's called the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. It comes under different names. It's slightly different versions. But again, let's just say that together in faith. This is a statement of what we believe. It's pure uh, Christian doctrine. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from the true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. God bless you. Good morning. How are we all this morning? Made it through the, the drizzle of the rain, <laughs> driving away here, and it's like, well, I can't even see the road, but we're here. Isn't it wonderful to get together and be together, not only physically warm, but sense God's presence amongst us as we worship? Beautiful singing. I love hearing the voices of, of the congregation sing. Uh, together in in unison, in unity, beautiful thing. Uh, Would you agree that around us as we look at society today, and I'm sure many generations before have done the same thing, would say that there's a truth crisis? There's a a crisis of truth uh, happening around our world as different voices come and want to shout and, and declare what they believe to be true. And it's hard to kind of have an understanding. And as we're wanting to, to reach out and declare what we believe is true and what we just declared as true, 
uh, in the Nicene Creed, uh, sometimes it comes, it comes against certain things, certain ideologies, philosophies that we see uh, in the round, world around us. So I just wanted to speak into that this morning uh, as, we, as I look around uh, the society, uh, politics, uh, did you know that the Liberal government in South Australia has banned Christians from their party? Isn't that interesting that the Liberal Party in South Australia, the conservative part of government, has said that if you're a Christian you can't be part of their government? It's a, cr- a crazy world we're, we're coming into. Hands up if you have noticed that your vision changes as you get older. <laughs> I am becoming aware of this. I think uh, when I say changes, it gets worse, doesn't it? I was trying to take a splinter out of one of my children's finger the other day, and I'm normally a pretty good splinterer, getterer, outerer. And I remember holding the finger going... I can't actually see, and my eyes were going all blurry, and I, I couldn't, and I had to hold the finger further and further away from me. Uh, it is actually a condition called presbyopia. There you go. It's a gradual loss of the eye's ability to focus on nearby objects. It's natural, often annoying part of aging. Thank you for highlighting that for me. Presopia usually becomes noticeable in your early to mid-40s and continues to worsen. So I've become aware of this happening in my life. I think one of the first things we need to do is admit that that's the case. Many of us don't like to admit that that's the case. So um, my son Joel is often going to get new glasses because he often breaks them. And so as part of that, I've been starting to sort of think about what my life would look like with glasses. And in true Sam form, I've gone for the cheapest one possible there, 39 bucks. That might be what I look like in a few weeks' time as I, as I go. Something called 2020 vision, as we know. 2020 vision basically means what a... A normal eye would be able to see uh, 20 feet away from something. Uh, if we get to 2200 vision, we are just um, we are labelled legally blind. It's pretty funny though, isn't it? As we we look back at 2020 as a as a number of uh, the year that we've been in, who would have had 2020 vision to see that 2020 was the way it would, would become? But if this is a reality in our physical world. It is also a reality in our spiritual world. Our spiritual vision, our spiritual clarity can change. In some ways that's a good thing as we mature and grow, our understanding of the things of God become clearer and more deep and and functional. But in the same way it can be said the other way. Sometimes as our life goes on, we are changed in the way we view things spiritually. And it could be through a life experience. It could be through uh, a friend uh, who has gone through something or perhaps has a differing worldview that comes to challenge what we believe. And it produces a haze. It produces a loss of sharpness. Lines can become blurred. No longer are things black and white. Do you remember when you were young and things were just 
pretty clear. It was, it was either black or it was white. And things become grey and complex. It can become so much so that we don't go from 2020 spiritual vision to perhaps 2200 vision and become spiritually blinded. This is what Peter meant when in 2 Peter 1 he wrote to a young church and he said, the more you grow like this, in other words, as if we are to develop and mature, the more productive and useful we'll become in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to grow, to sharpen, to develop, become short-sighted or even at worst blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. And you may even recall uh, Jesus having something to say to those around him, particularly the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees of the time, who were, who were full of themselves, who felt like they had a, a monopoly on the truth and, and what was right and wrong, and lorded it over the people, didn't they? And Jesus spoke to them quite harshly. He said, I've entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think that they can see the Pharisees, that they are in fact blind. They're spiritually blind to the truth of what Jesus came about. In fact, the response, if you continue reading, the Pharisees sort of retorted and said, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus is saying, yes, you're spiritually blind. So our spiritual clarity, our spiritual vision changes and we need to first perhaps admit that we're seeing things a bit bit distant from us and we have to go to the optometrist, Dr Jesus, and admit that we can't perhaps see as clearly as we ought to. And here's the thing, Jesus will fix us. As we come to him and as we say perhaps, hey, I'm, I'm confused about this, there's opinion about this, uh, where do we sit on this? If, if we are in right relation with Jesus, it is he that convicts us. And it is his word that uh, tells us the truth about what is right and what is wrong, about what is real, what is the reality. The truth that we as Christians come to know that Jesus indeed is the Son of God, that he came into our world to reveal who God is, to give himself up for us, to lay himself down, to to take away our sins, to give us a new life, to be freed from the shackles that hold us down. We sang about that this morning, to be free. You see, I could go on pretending that my eyes are okay. I could go on pretending, but ultimately that wouldn't be any good for me. We can go on spiritually pretending sometimes that we are able to see But indeed, we are actually, like the Pharisees, perhaps blind. See, spiritual blindness is a metaphor for the unwillingness or the inability to see spiritual truth. The unwillingness or inability to see spiritual truth. And what do I mean by by that spiritual truth? Pretty much what we we declared this morning as we stood and, and, and proclaimed that. And I love the fact that sometimes I, I, I prepare a message and I'm sometimes a bit unsure. Is this, is this really what God's saying? And then the prayer prays it, the worship leader 
Jesus songs about it and, and the Holy Spirit is at work uh, bringing this message together. And I was really encouraged when Mike was going to come and, and pray the way that he prayed this morning, guiding us in our spiritual truth. Today, people are cynical of truth, don't you think? Uh, get a bit older, perhaps, go through life's uh, things, become a bit like Pontius Pilate, who stood before the truth, Jesus, didn't he? Remember when Jesus was on trial and he was brought before Pontius Pilate and Pontius just, what is truth? This, this kind of, I don't understand, there's just so much mystery and so much going on. In fact, in this world that we're currently in with coronavirus and and the conflicting views about where it started, who's behind it, what's happening. You know, there's what do I what do I believe? Who do I believe? Who do I trust? What is real? What what is wrong? In fact, um, as all the coronavirus restrictions happened, we, we came across this this funny video that we showed our kids. I want to show it to this you this morning as a bit of a, an illustration of conflicting views. And uh, yeah, I'll just just show that for me, Dave. Thanks. Yeah, so here's one. Um, can I stay at a caravan park with 200 other caravans? Absolutely, Jason, you can do that. Go for your life. Oh, that's great. Well, well, can a couple of my friends park their caravans in my backyard? And we can have like a mini holiday because of all the border closures. We'll stay local. <laughs> no, Jason. There'll be too many people in your home. 200 caravans is okay, but not a, a few. Okay, that's fine. Um... Uh, can I play backyard cricket with my mates in my backyard? How many people, Jason? Um, 16? No, Jason. That's too many. Too many. Okay. Uh, well, can I go to the cricket and watch 22 men play cricket with 20,000 supporters watching along? Yes, of course you can do that. Don't be stupid, Jason. Okay. Um, can I book a table of 20 at a restaurant? Yes, Jason. You can absolutely do that. Awesome. Fantastic. Can I have a dinner party with 20 people at home? No, Jason, that's irresponsible and we'll be putting the public health in jeopardy. No. Yeah, of course. Sorry. Uh, what about at a concert, a human nature concert? Well, Jason, you have to sit down in your seat and there's no dancing. Unless you want to dance in your seat, then you can dance. Oh, okay. So, so I can sing along to the tunes from my seat as well? No, Jason, there'll be no singing. That spreads germs, Jason. Oh, okay. Uh, what about the guys on stage? Of course they're singing, Jason. They're singers, you idiot. Okay. Um, because it's very noisy at a concert like that, can I yell loudly to, to my friends? Don't see a problem with that at all, Jason. Right, so no singing, but yelling loudly is fine. Okay, right. Um, and can you just remind me how to cough and sneeze again? Into your elbow, Jason. Like this. <laughs> Am I allowed to shake people's hands? No, Jason! Use your elbow! Um, would there be anything else, Jason? Oh, one more thing. Um, just if you're sick, what do you do if you're feeling a bit sick? Jason, Jason, Jason. If you have any symptoms at all, you stay at home, you don't go to work, and you don't leave your house. But you also need to go and get a test. And line up for four hours with lots of other people trying to get a test. Coughing and spluttering in the queue. Do that. It's a matter of public health, Jason. I'm going home. Our, our kids love that so much that often if um, someone's suggesting something that's not quite right, the retort will be, No, Jason! 
it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? The conflicting views on, on the restrictions uh, at the time. But whilst that's funny, there's, there's also the seriousness behind the confusion around what, what's happening in our world, particularly uh, regarding coronavirus. I'm not, not going to go into that, that right now. But the same thing can be said about the conflicting views about the spiritual truth. But I wanted to declare you this morning, we don't need to be in the dark when it comes to our understanding of what the, the Bible, the Word, says to us about our spiritual truth, about what is right and wrong. And I want to look at a passage in uh, 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 3. If you want to, um, if you've got your Bibles with you there, 2, 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 3. A bit of a background to this um, this part of Scripture is that the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. Uh, Timothy uh, has been mentored uh, by Paul, and Paul is placing him in the city of Ephesus. And this is Paul's final letter that he ever wrote. Did you know that? This is, this is not his, perhaps his last recorded words, but his last words written to Timothy. And a major theme in all of Paul's writing, but particularly uh, in his letters to Timothy, is this worry, is this concern of apostasy. Now, apostasy is a, a funny word, but it simply means a falling away, uh, a, a walking away from truth, a departure from or being deceived uh, by the influences that are around him. And so Paul is writing with a concern, with a warning to Timothy about the the destructive thing that happens when we fall away or walk away from the truth, that those who once saw clearly and believed wholeheartedly over time through experience or facing uh, certain perhaps even uh, desires of the flesh become cynical and jaded and would rather, rather go after a lie than seek the truth. Um, Mark Twain I'm there. No, you've gone. You've gone before me, mate. <laughs> you do it. Um, Mark Twain. Whether whether this was attributed to him or not, some people say it's not. Say a little lie can travel halfway round the world while truth is still tying up her boots. Isn't that true? A lie can just whew, spread so fast, and we have to be wary of that. In fact, in in Genesis. As we look at the, the way in which the serpent uh, questioned Adam and Eve, what was the question? Did God really say this? Is this really true? Is this really right? And I think that's the same uh, approach that's still being used today. Has God really said this? Is this really true? What about what so-and-so says? What about this opinion? What about that opinion? Well, in to Timothy, we can see uh, three things that I just want to bring out. And I thank Paul that he, in his hindsight, thought of three things that can make a three-point sermon and that all start with the letter C. So he obviously had that in mind as he was, he was preparing his letter to Timothy. <laughs> and it is this, to be convinced of the truth, to continue in the truth, and to be careful to protect or to be cautious of neglecting the truth. I want to talk about those three things as we open up this passage this morning. Let's 
read it together from 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a wonderful encouragement, isn't it? If we want to live a godly life, if we want to go God's way and adhere to his truth, uh, to his standard, then we'll be persecuted for that. And we can see that in the world around us. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know who's from whom you have learned it, those, sorry, from whom you've learned it. It's been passed down. In fact, this is written probably only 30 or 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and the information is, is right first at hand. It's been passed down. It's true. It hasn't been, been changed. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's the passage we all know and love. All scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then it goes over into chapter 4. In the presence of God, therefore, if this is the case, if all scripture is God-breathed and if we are to continue in it, and in the presence of Christ, who would judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom... I love that. I think that's a great reminder that Jesus is coming back and he will, he will judge the living and the dead. And that should, be, that should be motivation, shouldn't it, that we'd want to adhere to his ways. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. That word doctrine could be interpreted as teaching or instruction. Similar word throughout his writing here. Doctrine. They won't put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you. Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. The first thing I want to just draw your attention to back in uh, chapter 3 says that you were once convinced of. What is most convincing about the truth is that it changes us. In fact, you can't argue with a changed heart, a transformed life, can you? When the, the truth comes and, and does something in us, and this has happened for Timothy, Paul saying, be, be, continue in what's convinced you, the, the scriptures, the word of God, the, the truth of who he is, has done something in your life and has changed you. It has, has done something in your life. And I, I think if we first of all aren't convinced of the truth, it's very hard to convince others. If we're not first convinced of what God has done in Jesus and that we align ourselves to him and his ways, then it's going to be very hard to 
uh, be in conversation with someone who's, who thinks differently, first of all, we need to be convinced of it. And I want to ask a question. Are, are we convinced? Are we convinced of the truth this morning? Perhaps you're on a, on a journey to being that way. I want to say if we aren't convinced, then quite easily when engaging in conversation or uh, looking at the opinions that are before us and being pushed and shouted loudly from the rooftops, be easily overcome if we aren't first convinced. Important thing, first of all, is to be convinced. In fact, it's this conviction that sets us free, isn't it? It's this holding to the truth that actually does something in our lives and changes us. In John chapter 8, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, my instruction, my doctrine, and you will know the truth, and not only knowing the truth, that this truth will do something in us. It'll set us free. It's not going to set us free if we're not convinced of it. It's not going to change our heart and transform our lives if we're not sure about it. So Paul reminds Timothy that he is convinced and he understands it. And once convinced, we need to continue in it. We can't just simply say, well, uh, yeah, I believe it, and then we, we put that on the shelf and then we, we go about our, our daily lives and, and think that that's, that's going to just continue to remain throughout our lives. And in the same way, we can't just come just once a week on a Sunday and, and hear the word. We've got to continue in it. We've got to con- teach ourselves in it. We've got to be reading it daily. We've got to be meeting with others. We've got to be uh, chewing on and, and devouring God's word uh, to be continuing in it. And, and Paul sa- says this to Timothy, continue in it. In fact, I see it a bit like a, you know, God has given us his word, his instruction manual for life. And some of us perhaps view the word a bit like a, a car manual. We just recently had to... to purchase a new car and the, the manual is in the, the place that it normally is in the glove box. How many of us, when we get a new car, actually read the manual? Very, very rarely do we do that, don't we? <laughs> but if something goes wrong, then we pull it out and we, we, we look for it, don't we, in the manual. Let, let's not treat the word, let's not treat scripture like a car manual and only look at it when things in our life are going wrong, but we should be continuing in it. If you don't have a, a daily reading plan, we can help you with that. Or get alongside one or two and, and have an accountability group to, to actually be growing in and continuing in and, and, and fostering our understanding of Scripture and the Word and what God wants to say to us. Uh, Kathy Maddock, who's not with us today, hi Kathy, if you're watching online, uh, is doing a great thing in this area where she's getting people around her and wanting to read uh, the Word and journey with people together. John Wesley, um, I've, I've shared this before, had, when it's talking about how we understand what truth is, had this um, 
quadrant, the Wesleyan quadrant it's called, where there's four things in which where we gain understanding and, and truth from. And that, those things would be scripture, we, we, we hear from God's word to us, our tradition speaks to us, our church fathers, their writings, um, the way the early church uh, governed themselves and, and, and lived. Our experience is important. If our experience doesn't sort of line up with uh, what, what God's saying, there's, then there's something wrong. And then there's reason. Does it make sense? It's got to be reasonable. But Wesley was very strong in saying Scripture has to be the priority. If you're having a pyramid, really it doesn't really matter about which order you put the other three, but Scripture has to be at the top. What's going to happen if we put tradition at the top? What's going to happen if we put our experience as the predominating thing that, that, that guides our understanding of truth? It would just be sort of all based around us and what we do. What about reason? Well, I think as we look around us, we, we see people who are reasoning and, and saying what, what happens in mankind rather than in God, God's way. The prophet Hosea in chapter 4 said, My people are destroyed from lack of... Of knowledge, they're not destroyed from lack of good intention or passion or or love or or emotion. They're destroyed from lack of knowledge. If we look at um, Acts chapter two, the early church, the the passage that we love to talk about as a, a picture of the church, the 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 believers, what do they do? They adhere to the the apostles' teaching, their doctrine of fellowship, of breaking of bread, and to prayer, and. Finally, we need to be cautious about neglecting the truth or being protective of the, of the truth. See, our culture is so quickly rejecting the truth as we know it as from a Christian point of view. Now, there might be many reasons for this. One, one reason, I think, is sometimes people can think that the truth is just so rigid that it speaks against ourselves. Perhaps I have a, a certain desire or, or want or, or justification that I want to live or behave a particular way. And when I, I, I line myself up with God's word, it sort of convicts that. And maybe people don't, don't like that conviction, so they try to make the truth a bit more rigid, a bit more fluid. In fact, truth, you might have heard uh, in conversations with workmates or colleagues or, or neighbours, there's starting to be this this conversation that it's not the truth, it's becoming your truth. And you, you can have your truth and it doesn't affect my truth. And what's true for you is true for you, but it's not true for me. And there can be different versions of what is, is truth. In fact, if we looked perhaps 50 years ago at culture, there was something called the moral code in which there was a consensus of what was right and wrong. Nowadays, if anyone wants to speak up against something and maybe say that it's wrong, you're labelled as, as someone who's oppressing someone else. It's the cancel culture that we're up against. As if someone says, no, I actually don't agree with that, all of a sudden you're the enemy. And because you're hurting someone else's feelings and you're putting them down, you're oppressing someone, even though what you might be saying is true. There is no such thing as absolute truth, is what people say today. 
There is no such thing as absolute truth. Do you know that that is a self-contradicting statement? Because if there wasn't absolute truth, then you couldn't absolutely say that there's no absolute truth. You're, you're, you're making an absolute truth statement by saying that there's no absolute truth. So you can use that one in a party next time you're, you're talking to someone about that. Paul here in writing to Timothy has a warning. And it's a warning that I want to speak about as a cautiousness. With great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We see this all around us, that people will will hold on to a particular interpretation or or a particular pastor or tradition's teaching because it it fits well with with who they are it 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 fascinates an itching ear they 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 want to hear what they want to hear not what they need to hear they want to hear what pleases them what will uh, make them feel good what will will make them feel justified rather than what will change them and set them free in fact uh, I don't know, don't know if you know this, but if you look on YouTube and you have an account on YouTube and you search for a particular thing, say it might be riding a bike, uh, all of a sudden then up on, on YouTube, next time you go up there, it will have all these videos on riding a bike. If you, if you then delve into a particular ideology or a particular worldview and, and you search that, the next time YouTube will, will give you similar opinions and similar things that feed that idea. It doesn't contradict it. It just goes, oh, you want to hear more of this. You want to hear more of this. I'm going to give you more of this. I'm going to give you more of this. And it's, 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 it's itching. People want to hear it. People want to hear more of what makes them feel good. And, and they'll, they'll heap up for them a great number of teachers, of YouTube videos, of opinions that, that will suit what they want to hear. I want to look at the message version. If you're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but they will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They will turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. When Paul was in Athens, uh, up on, on Mars Hill, um, with all the philosophers and teachers of the day, it says there in, in Acts, Acts 17, all the Athenians, all the people of Athens, loved to hear something new. They were just after the latest thing, the newest teaching, what was going to make them uh, think of something new. And in, in Jeremiah 5, it says this, A horrible and shocking thing has happened, says the Lord in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. I think it's human nature that is guiding our society that feeds 
this desire to hear what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. It makes us feel good and justifies our behaviour. Um, I heard a story of a farmer who um, had donkeys and he was feeding his donkey oats and he couldn't afford oats so he started to mix oats with, um, with sawdust to make the oats go further. And gradually by gradually, little by little, he added more and more sawdust to the oats for the donkey until finally the donkey died. Because the donkey can't live on sawdust alone. Matthew chapter 4 says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our sustenance, our ability to see clearly spiritual truth doesn't come just from our own ideas, from the world's ideas, but it comes from every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we need to be careful about what is of God, what is the word that God is saying, what is not, what is a deception, what is a lie. How do we line that up? And so then he says, but you, Timothy, you're not like these guys. Keep your head. Protect it. Nurture it. And then he goes on to use himself, if you keep on reading, as an example. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. For I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteousness, righteous will judge. Here we see, again, a picture of continuing, don't we? That, that Paul himself is using this as an example of what it means to be convinced and to be changed, but then to continue in it. He has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. He has continued in it. So we need to first be convinced. We need to continue in the faith, in, in the truth of what's right. Be cautious against falling away. I just want to quickly just go back to verse 2. He says, preach the word. It is a commandment. That's how I just want to end this morning. Preach is a word called caruso. And it really means to, to herald, to proclaim publicly. Um, a preacher wasn't necessarily someone in a church on a stage. That's, that's how we use the word. But back uh, in Jesus' time, a preacher was a, a herald. He was someone who was an official of the king. The official would come and go out into the streets and proclaim loudly uh, decrees. Laws, events, dates. And when he spoke, he carried the authority of the king, the preacher. And if you spoke or misrepresented the king, that was a grave offence, that you could lose your life. But in the same way, if the people ignored the preacher, it was to ignore the king. When Jesus, when when Peter says to Tim, preach the word, preach the truth. That is his word to us as well. 
We're not to preach our opinions. We're not to preach our feelings, our politics, our culture, our interpretations, the latest new thing, whatever our itching ears want to hear. We're to preach his word. And it is sound doctrine. In fact, I once heard um, a friend of mine give a, give a sermon and he was talking about the, the different opinions of the age and what different people would say and how so often and so quickly when we're perhaps a bit blurred, perhaps things are a bit grey in our understanding of what our spiritual truth is, the first thing we'll do is go to, to an opinion or go to an article or go to uh, someone's preaching on it or, or whatever and he got so frustrated, he's like, stop going to other people and go to God. I don't want to hear what other people have to say. I want to hear what God has to say. How do we do that? D.L. Moody, a preacher, said this wonderful thing. The best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or to spend time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside it. And here is the answer. When we align ourselves to the straight stick, the word of Scripture, his revealed word to us, his good news for us, it shows those things that are crooked, those things that are out of whack, those things that are blurry, those things that perhaps aren't right. At the start, I talked about um, my admission that my, my eyesight physically perhaps is not what it used to be. And part of that is needing to admit, needing to come up to the understanding that, hey, this is, this is a reality, and I actually need to go to somebody about it and to be fixed and to be uh, corrected. That's what Deal Moody is saying. If we are feeling crooked or if we're feeling like we're following the, the word of the day or someone's opinion or a particular political view, whatever it is, are we lining it up with the straight stick? Are we lining it up against the word that God has given us that Mike so clearly said was from the beginning and it is now and it's not going to change Jesus is going to come again in some day to judge the living and the dead and how they have lined themselves up to his way. The, as yesterday morning as I was continuing to dwell on this message, the verse of the day came up and so often, isn't if you've got the Bible app and the verse of the day, do you find that it just comes up and it just gives you the, the right verse that you need to hear at the right time? The verse that came up to me yesterday as I was struggling with this message, what am I going to say? Hebrews 12, if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. Isn't that what we desire, to live at peace and to do what's right? Perhaps sometimes we need to be corrected in our thinking. I remember when I was um, first studying in, in Bible college, one of our assignments was to talk about our own character and our own life and a certain attribute about ourselves and, and how you'd line that up biblically. And I had several people say to me, oh, you're really teachable. Someone said to me, you're really teachable. And my first answer was, what does that mean? <laughs> I think 
thus proving that I was teachable. Um, and, and I remember, remember thinking about that. And, and as I was thinking about that verse from, from Hebrews, if we learn to obey by being teachable or being corrected, coming back to that which we were convinced by, perhaps in our early days, that which we see to be true, that which we need to protect and hold on to, then we will do right and we will live at peace. I'm going to get the worship team up. You know, no one can claim to have all of the answers to life. But my hope in sharing this is that I would be a bit like someone who gives a referral to a specialist. If you have struggles in your life to understand what the Word says, how to hold a biblical worldview against what's happening in the world around us, perhaps you're coming up against some things in your own life, your family, and, and you're unsure and things that once were so clear and so black and white that now seem a bit blurry and you need help. May I refer you to Jesus. May I refer you to his word and to bring yourself to that and to align yourself to that. So I'm just going to sing in a moment as we fix our eyes to Jesus that we do that. I just want to pray for us this morning. You join me as I pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. You said that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, with so many conflicting views around us in this day, it can be be hard to know what's right and wrong. But Lord, help us to hold on to that which we've been convinced by, which has changed us, which we know to be true because of the effect that it's had on our life. If there's anyone today who's not yet convinced, who is feeling like, is it right, is it wrong? Lord, would you just reveal yourself to them? May today be a day that they feel convinced. But then, Lord, help us not to just leave it as that, but to continue, to continue in your word, to continue in your truth, to continue to walk and live the life that you have for us. Help us not to lay aside and to, to put it only on a Sunday and, and live the rest of the week without you, but to continue to walk in, to continue, to continue. And Lord, help us to, to protect, help us to, to hold on to that uh, when the persecution comes that is likely to come. Help us to stand up to what is right, what you say is true the word that comes from your mouth, not from our mouths, but from yours. And so, Lord, as we we end this morning, as we sing, reveal to us again your truth, Jesus. May we come to you, may we fix our eyes on you. If there is any crooked way in us, as we fix our eyes on you, the straightest stick that has ever lived, may we see perhaps ways in which we need to be corrected and to come in line with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We stand as we sing.
about convinced changed continuing I think that was the um, this week I worked through Romans um, and I'd highlighted a verse that re- I was reminded of listening to the sermon and it it was Romans 8 24 and 25 it says for in this hope you were saved but hope that is seen is not hope at all for who hopes for what they already have if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Just join me in prayer. God, give us strength to be cautious uh, against falling away. Give us courage to protect the truth. Uh, give us clarity and understanding that stands up to ever-shifting moral goalposts and ever-changing worldviews. And give us hope to wait patiently for your will to outwork in our lives. Amen. If you'd like prayer, um, the team's going to be available in the prayer room. There's a little sign over in that corner. It's the first door as you go down that corridor. Um, and there's going to be a team in there ready to pray or talk and uh, spend some time with you. Otherwise, uh, go into your weeks in peace and I uh, hope you all have a wonderful week. Thanks, everyone.